Why so many sex references? What in the world? That was... Did your mom not ever think you'd have to talk about the birth and theme? Do you know where babies come from? Sex. You've got to be kidding Wait. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Theo Table, where angels dancing on the head of a pin can change your life. I'm Aiden, also known as Celtic Catholic Fire. I'm Julie. I'm Maria. I'm Bea. And I'm Jarek. In today's podcast, we are reconsidering Pope Francis's call to evangelize at the peripheries of society. We have the obvious peripheries, right? People who are marginalized by society and who are fairly easy to spot. But today we're going to consider those who occupy the spiritual peripheries. Who are the folks accepted by wider society, but who are spiritually poor? And how can we as Catholics reach them? We're considering pet people, those folks who value animals above humans, the ones who get pets instead of kids. What is the charitable Catholic response to these folks? Well, I think the first thing to establish is that there's not a problem intrinsically with pets in themselves. Just in case anybody should interpret us as being anti-pet, anti-animal, anti-domesticated anything, that's not at all. Yeah, show of hands who owns a dog or cat of some kind. I don't own one, but I live with one in my dorm, and I love him. So, like, okay. that's close enough. Um, but, yes, yeah, so, so pets are not into them, themselves a net negative. But I do think this is more <coughs> common than people realize. People prioritizing pets over humans in various ways, shapes, and forms. Most notably in the case of, as Maria said, pet people. People who choose to become owners of dogs or cats, quote-unquote pet parents, is normally how this is phrased, rather than being actual parents. And I think we have to note, there is something that's deeply spiritually confused about that. That human life is precious, and the gift of being a father or mother is incredibly precious. It's part of most of our vocations. And giving that up for animal ownership and trying to treat animals as somehow filling that gap is just... Ultimately, it can't do that. Why can't it do that? I think it's a fundamental question. Well, because animals aren't people. People are different than animals. Like, there's human dignity. Humans have an inherent dignity and worth because we're made in the image and likeness of God. And that isn't true of of all animal creatures. Dogs are loyal, faithful companions, but they're not made in the image of God. Cats are borderline sociopaths and also not made in the image of God. (laughs) Wow, Oh, uh, his fire. prejudice is showing. Um, there it is, folks. I see it. I see it. I would push back. But yes, how, how do we know that humans have this dignity? How could you convince someone who's not a dedicated Christian or Catholic that that this is a reality? Yeah. Um, just to add, I'm going to play devil's advocate for a minute on Maria's thing. I'm going to be the pet person and explain why the pets are so great. So, all right. So my dog, it is lost work. Okay, it's less work. It I can still kind of interact with people through my dog. I get out, I get exercise. It's less of a burden, environmentally speaking, on the planet. That's true. I mean, there's an argument that people will make about, like, human um, population overgrowth and stuff like that. Lots of pets. Maybe these aren't the pet people, per se. I'll caveat my own point. But lots of pets are service animals. Um, oh, there are pet people. I have next to my own point. 
Or then there's just the problem of like, I mean, there's the trope of the spinster cat lady. Um, what do we do about the spinster cat lady who has pets because she doesn't have other people in her life? Because that's going to be me in like 15 years. <laughs> Here's the thing. Spin- <coughs> I don't, I, I think you have to examine pet people and cat ladies as a separate phenomenon almost. Oh boy. Oh boy. <laughs> what a category. No, 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 no. Seriously. Because like, honestly, if someone like the old women who own a bunch of cats because all of their family has lost contact or has passed on tend to be really holy people, actually. <laughs> so, if you're involved oh, in your how well, cat lady, how many cat you know? I'm, okay, <laughs> I'm going off my grandmother. I'm going off my grandmother, who is a cat lady, but also generally very faithful. Well, I hope she person. watches this then and sees that you think that her pets are supposed to be pets. But she's holy. <laughs> but no, this is tangential. But I love it. Keep going. <laughs> so so the, the, the point is. Even owning a lot of pets and spending a lot of time owning pets isn't a pr- like caring for your pets isn't a problem if it has to do with the fact that you have been through parenthood or you've been through that stage in your life, or for some reason you're impeded by it. Right, exactly, yeah. and have or other sources still of human community. Like, because ultimately, if you're tr- even people who are older and take care of lots of pets should still have a community outside of their home. So we think we should probably clarify that for starters that. As long as you're engaging in your human community, if you've reached a stage of your life where you want to own a whole bunch of cats because you've had a family and they've all grown up and had their own families, that's okay. What about the right? Okay, so I think we have, I think we have two questions on the table right here. The first one, and again, feel free to jump in, add, change, correct, whatever. But the first one that I'm seeing is how do we expound on human dignity? And make a solid case for the fact that humans are somehow exceptional from animals. Yes, we're also mammals, but what is human dignity and how, in a very concrete way, does that make us different? And then the second one, which we're also asking, which will dovetail off of the human exceptionalism question, is what's the good of being in human community? How does that serve our spiritual and human needs, right? complicated question partially because i mean like and this is not at all like catholic doctrine this is me speaking as somebody who has interest in this area about like you know human dignity human rights that sort of thing i'm inclined to think that we cannot have a coherent reason to treat humans as individually dignity as individually being owed dignity without a conception of god and people like Kant would disagree people like well uh, that's complicated. Um, yeah, let's, not, let's not get into uh, like, yeah. like I mean, philosophy here. <laughs> or like people like J.S. Mel or Jeremy Bentham would disagree, but like, I just don't see a way of doing that. And so if the question is, how can we convince some arbitrary person on the street, regardless of whether or not, regardless of their religious or philosophical commitments, that there is human dignity, I think the answer to that is that we can't. Unless you convert them to Christianity or something. Or like, not Christianity <laughs> yeah. as per se, but like, you know, some theological or philosophical tradition that does yeah. Yeah, have a strong sense of human dignity. Yeah, I, I wish I disagreed with that, because that would, I think, probably make the world... I think the world would be better if we all disagreed with that, but I, I'm not feeling a lot of pushback in this room. Yeah, yeah no, I mean, look at PETA. Like, 
Oh boy. No, no, no. I mean, yeah. in, all, in all seriousness. Yeah. Do you want to explain what PETA is real quick? Yeah, PETA, for those who don't know, it's short for people for the ethical treatment of animals. Not as you prefer to say people eating tasty animals. Um, <laughs> <laughs> who? You prefer to say this? No, no. I'm saying the group is an animal rights group. And they have. Sometimes they pointed out good things like abuses in agricultural industry. Animal Some or domestic abuse. Or, or yeah, 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 domestic animal abuse. Or sometimes they hold protests where women protest naked because that's the oh equivalent God. of like eating meat. What? No, 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 seriously, seriously. Like in front of butcher's shops. What? I want to yeah. be where I mean if I'm like if I'm the guy working in the butcher shop, like No <laughs> oh, Whoa, No, like whoa. Like li- lying in like stuffed and roasted pig poses. Like you know the bag. Oh, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, it's okay, like, okay. like what if what if my cousins does things like that? Not the naked thing, but like she like covers <laughs> herself in paint and lies on the floor to protest like cruel treatment of animals. In public, not like at Thanksgiving. Um, but <laughs> I don't know which is worse. Okay, guys, we're, I think we're getting well <laughs> off the beaten we're path well here. Off the, the, the point well, is, PETA sees animal life as of equal value to human life, and so sees something like a butcher shop as something equivalent I'm to a Nazi death chamber. Yeah. Well, how do they see an abortion clinic? Well, that's uh, that was, okay. No, <laughs> a separate question. Pointing out the hypocritical views of someone who believes animals are equal to human life, but unborn children aren't, is a separate question. Unfortunately, going off of that, a lot of vegans they think you know, you know, truth is subjective, and you know, we all have our own subjective oh truths. So oh no. like, well, actually, I think I, that's. I mean, like, there's a sense in which most. At least most vegans I know and most yeah. vegetarians I know who do it for ethical reasons. Yeah. Do you think that there is an objective sense in which eating meat is animal cruelty? Eating meat is violating some sort of right that animals have by virtue of them being a living creature. But that's a, that's why, a different why question. Why fall into a different category is, uh, I, I'm not quite sure either. Yeah. But, but it's also a different question for whether animal the dignity of an animal is equal to the dignity of a human. Yes. Well, yeah. I mean, I, actually, I think this whole, Jarek's point about vegans... And there are ethical reasons for doing what they do when it's not Lent is actually super interesting to consider because it is a very human thing to lay down the line and say that there is an objective ethical code that we need to be following here, right? Can animals follow an objective ethical code or try and spot one and make one out in a situation? Well, I mean, the answer is at least as far as I know is no because they don't have the rational faculties that humans have. And exactly. like, a lot of people will say that the rational faculty is the reason that humans are on a different plane than animals or plants. Because you And know, why do we have the rational faculty? For one big reason, right? To seek a relationship with God. Yeah. Well, and, and, so, and some theologians will go so far as to say that the rational faculty is, in fact, the way in which we are created in the image and likeness of God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm just mentally trying to connect the whole point of the individual and the community, right? But we have this rational faculty to seek a relationship with God. And God is Trinity, and he's essentially community, right? Yes. Yeah. And so we're called to mirror that in our human relationships. With, with loving relationships with other people, that's when we become most human, when we are mirroring the love that's shared in the Trinity, right? Yeah. Indeed. And people meaning something like, more technical than just like you know another term for a person or a person a human. <laughs> okay, <laughs> sorry, okay. a human. 
people don't open up the can of worms. Speaking of animals, people and humans <laughs> are like different categories because there are some people who aren't humans. Yeah, I we mean, just talked about angels. The Trinity and angels. We just talked about angels yeah. a few weeks ago. Yes, yeah. understood. But the the point is that yes, we <laughs> are made in God's image and likeness and are so called to live in community with God and with other people. And that expresses itself ultimately in our vocation, whether that's the priesthood, married life, or the single life, but particularly talking about those who are called to marriage, which is honestly the vast majority of people. No, 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 Aiden. Marriage. Oh, <laughs> yes. I was worried that yes. marriage would fall into some sort of heresy, but then no, no. Yes. her criticism is actually valid. <laughs> okay, hold on a That's But no, so the point, <laughs> the point is that for those called to marriage, one of the goods of marriage, one of the community, one of, one of the aspects in which marriage reflects the divine community is in the way that a, a love, a husband and a wife for each other bears forth the fruit of children. Mm-hmm. Children who, yes... To respond to Julie's point just from a while back, it's our devil's advocate points. Yes, raising a child is expensive and difficult and exhausting. More so I, than raising a pet. More so than raising a pet, and I speak from no experience on this. But, yeah, you've been raising goats as of late. Okay, no, no. I have raised no goats. My sister raises goats. Don't put this on me. <laughs> but the point... To get back to the point... The point is that well, raising a child is much more difficult and much more consuming in a host of ways than raising a pet. For those called to marriage, raising children and teaching their children to live virtuously and to become good people and ultimately to get to heaven is one of the primary callings of marriage. One of the primary right. callings of the human community that is marriage. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think this is a good train of thought to follow for a while. Like, what is the point of children and the good there? Um, you can read Casti Canubi, the encyclical. That's the good of the good of the children. The marriage is the the third primary good there. But the children aren't just good for the couple either. Like, they are good from the couple. They are good for the couple because oh my gosh, the the, match, the maturation that must happen and the self sacrifice yeah. that like yeah, yeah. one of the best homilies I ever heard was extolling the vocation to marriage and saying, hey, you people who really are attracted to these religious vows but uh, or like the works of mercy, but you don't think you're called to a religious life and you somehow think you can't be as holy if you're married, what do you do when you're a parent? Well, you certainly feed the hungry, clothe the naked, yeah. uh, instruct the ignorant. every day. Um, yeah. <laughs> look at college too. We should talk about about poverty. You know, um, but <laughs> yeah. but it's also but it's not just good for the sanctification of the parents and like the perpetuation of the human race. I think that's a good thing. Um, but as a family, you can't have a domestic church which is an example to the a witness to the rest of the to the rest of the, the, the world, so to speak, the people who are not yet Christian without children. Um the family unit itself is instructive to the whole rest of society. Yeah. You'd like what what it, what what good is observed from a woman and her her, her, her purse dog in the park? Like, no offense, but I just mm-hmm. families are so yeah. good, man. And even like I can see some people who, maybe not watchers of this podcast, but some people in general who would think, oh, you Catholics are just obsessed with, with sex and families. But, like, 
That is a topic for another day. Not wrong, but highly, highly misleading <laughs> for another time. Um, and I think that, like, and people who would say that, A, miss the point of all of this stuff that Julian Aiden just talked about. But B, also, it's not like Catholics only express community in married life. I mean, like, there's an objective sense in which, like, the highest community that we can be a part of, that human beings can be a part of, is the body of Christ, the church, which is an essentially communal entity. Um, you know, there's an objective good in community, whether it's a community which is explicitly religious or not, whether it's your friends from school, your friends from work, or your friends from whatever. There's an objective good in community, um, which is, yeah, I think, most fully manifested in one sense in marriage and in one sense in the unity of the church of the body of Christ. I think... Uh common objection that a lot of people have to having kids bring kids into this world though is that they say why would I bring kids into such a messed up place it's the problem of evil repackaged from a more secular lens um I know that I have cousins who have grappled with this question and decided to go the dog route over having babies and how would from this very rich theology of marriage that we've been talking about, how do you think we address a more secular couple's concerns with the problem of evil? And ultimately, the question comes down to, is your life right now, with all of the horrible things you've experienced, because everyone has, has their crosses, everyone has crosses and struggles, struggles and sorrows, everyone has sorrows in their life. This is just, just universally true. Is your life as it is right now, worth living. And mm-hmm. we, as Christians, constantly affirm that the answer is yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so if your life is worth living... Who's to say that the child would be any different? Right. Then how can you say any differently for your children? And also, how can you... How can you love your... So how can you care for your children enough to not want them to experience the harm of the world if you aren't willing enough to care for them enough to let them exist? Yeah. Yeah, boom. Got it. And I think, like... Yeah. And I guess then, what do we do for the people... Like, how do we respond to the people who would say no as regards to the question, is my life worth living? That, I think, is a complicated problem. And I think for a lot of people, maybe they would say, well, my life is worth living, but I know people who don't think that theirs is. And I don't want my child to become in such a state that, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Well, that actually, in my mind, that's partially a, something that comes down to parental responsibility to, ra- like, to raise your children to help see that life is worth living. That yeah, a virtuous life, a holy life, is not just something to strive for, but something that is incredibly desirable. Yeah, and for those who don't believe their lives are worth living, that is not a philosophical problem. That's a pastoral problem. That's a that that's a that should be addressed by people, by people in their community reaching out to them and helping them to understand that yes no, no matter what your life is like your life is worth living god has a plan he always does and even if it's years or decades until we see those plans come to fruition or the, eschaton. Or the end of time until those plans come to fruition because there are some of those too he always brings good in the end la vita e bella anything else as regards pets 
Oh, I'm sure well, we have more. We were supposed. Well, the topic was actually about how to reach those people at the periphery where the pets might be the substitute for the children. So mm-hmm. now that we've, I think, explained the problem very clearly and mm-hmm. why pets are not a great substitute for children, how do we actually reach out to those people? How do we be pastoral? Mm. Yeah. Also, we should acknowledge. I don't think we acknowledge at the top of the podcast. Or this also isn't saying like unless you have biological children. Um, Shame on you. Like, this yeah, isn't no, dismissing no. Yeah. people who haven't found a spouse yet and when they're, like, or, 28. Or people, people who, who infertility, more importantly, single, or, single life. Yeah. Like, this Which is, is strictly, still a thing. Like, that is still a third thing. category of vocation. <laughs> not enough people talk about that the single life is a... Yeah. yeah. I mean, the consecrated... The yeah. consecrated... Con- life consecrated to God and neighbor, yeah. Yes. yes. Um, yeah. Misleading. Vocation to single life is actually a selfish vocation. I'll just say that right now. Uh, do you want to explain that, that, maybe? Whoa. Yeah, could you explain that? You know, the whole point of vocation is that we live a life that's you know, ordered towards God, that we live a life where we can love God the most. And um, in each vocation, there, there's a commutative aspect of it. And this, mm-hmm. you know, this unit of aspect as well, like to another, because, you know, as Aquinas says, love is to will the good of the other. Mm-hmm. And like, who are you centering yourself or like, what are you centering yourself towards? Like just being single, but without like, you know, these vows, like I am going to live my life, like holy for Christ. If I am, you know, living, you know, a single yeah. celibate life. I think there are ways, like, for example, I think a lot of people might disagree with yeah. me. But I think there are some professions for which I think it's acceptable to say that if you really do want to do this profession in the service of the church, for example, I think academia is one of these, where academia is very trying, very complicated, and has so many demands on you as a person that it depends on whether or not you think that you can do justice to a family. If you if you think you're going to be a world-class academic and like serve the church through your mind, you know, in philosophy or theology or even like biology or history or political science or whatever field you think that you can serve the church best in. I think that to say that that single life, which isn't consecrated in the sense, I think that you mean consecrated, unless you mean consecrated in a different way than I'm thinking. Um, I don't think that that life is necessarily selfish. Ultimately, that's why the church identifies the single life, not consecrated virginity, because that's essentially a form of religious vows. It's not like the communities you normally see, but it's a form of vows. Non-consecrated single life is a vocation that must be constantly discerned. Yeah. There's the, the sort of multiple levels on this. Marriage is something we are all naturally called to. The priesthood and religious life require a supernatural vocation. And the single life requires constant discernment. Because, there's all, because if you're not living consecrated vows, there's always a chance God will say, no, at this point in your life, you are ready to raise a family. Or alternatively, be ordained a priest or yeah. a convent, or, or as well yeah. like, or from the religious life. Or God could legitimately say, as Jarek is saying, could legitimately discern. No, God is calling me to this work, which I cannot do justice to if I'm also raising a family. So, but to get back on the track, we started <laughs> off on here from yes. yes. <laughs> you go back to the peripheries. Although, although I will at some point like to continue that discussion, but yeah, that's really interesting. <laughs> yes. I think it could be a further topic, like the vocation of single life and how that looks. But for the rest of this conversation on pet people, how do we, to address the the topic at hand, how do we appeal to those and have conversation with those who 
essentially see the choice to have a pet rather than a child is justified. So I'm trying to think how someone who's making this choice might think. And honestly, part of it might be fear. Like, Mm. so say you're in the position of you're a young couple, you could theoretically start having kids. The world is not exactly sending a very positive message about this either. It's not just coming from you. It's like, oh, the world is saying all these, like, children are expensive. You'll have no free time. Like, maybe that's true. You won't. Um, (laughs) (laughs) How, what, what, where's the community support? Um, yeah. Like, what do they need? What What can we provide them to lessen the burden? Like, the massive. What's the word? I don't want to say burden. Children aren't a burden. Overhead. Overhead. Like, how do we minimize in earnest, earnestly minimize that fear? Yeah, while well, being honest yeah. about how difficult it is. Yeah. yeah. And recognizing. Uh, that not everything can be fixed with money, right? I mean, mm, yes. I think that a community extension to families, to parents, really calls us back to the whole fact that time and community are precious things that we tend to disregard. And that one of the best gifts that you can give to families and to couples is being there in supporting them through friendship, through prayer, through time babysitting, through human, genuine human connections, which they might be lacking in their lives. Because we got to get the cliche in this podcast at some point in time. I think to oversimplify Maria's point, it takes a village to raise a child. Oh, hey, no. Hey, thanks, Hillary Clinton. I love oh, it. Oh, yeah. no. No, no, no. That's a, that was why I had that reaction. <laughs> Wait, that's Hillary Clinton said that? that yeah, no, that's the name of her book. No! Yeah. Yeah. Hillary, what are you doing? <laughs> Sorry, Julie, I had to. Uh, I should know that. I'm a poli major. That's sad. All right. Well, you know, it was a phrase before her. The was point it? still stands. Yes. Yeah, it was. Okay. It was definitely was there Was there history before the Clintons? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's certainly not. I, I need to know. Yes. I mean, there's history. history. Okay, let me modify. In a very strictly, strictly, strictly Catholic over. A version of this phrase. It takes a parish or a neighborhood yes. to yeah, raise yes. a child. A diocese, if you will. Or yeah. a church. school system. Or, like, yeah, or a church. Yeah, like church, big C church. church. Like not a parish. Like the big church. Capital C. Know. Yeah. All and of we're, us. We're all making the capital C hand symbol <laughs> for those listening to this. <laughs> yes. Um, what else? How else do we... How do we reach out? I mean, to a certain degree, you have to do what we did here and start by talking about the fact that, yes, it's not evil to own a pet. Because that, like, that, that just shuts people down. Yeah. Yes. And it's also objectively wrong. Right. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. More importantly. <laughs> true. True. Or else we don't Truth is more important than ecumenism. <laughs> well, trademark well, that. I wasn't going that Trademark far, that. Well, let's see what you were saying, though. That might way. be next week's topic. Truth is more important than ecumenism. Um, Can that be the next oh book? The, Can we write the next book? book from Hillary Clinton? Truth is more important than a humanism. <laughs> she could write I don't that think book. She could write that book. Oh Anyways. no! <laughs> but my my point is, at some level, we do have to just. I I think part of it as well is going to be increasing an appreciation for human dignity because I mean there was a joke earlier in this podcast about how PETA sees like slaughtered animals as people but doesn't see inborn children as people. 
in all seriousness, I think trying to address some of those more systemic dehumanizations of the unborn, of the dis- of the disabled as well, because that's actually, yeah, that's another concern I know some yeah. parents can have that yeah. the, the concerns of raising a child with a disability, mm-hmm. or just some children in general. We don't really treat children like people. Yeah, like yeah. I, I, we don't treat them as human beings. We treat them in mean, like. I don't know. It's hard to pin down because the way that societally children are treated is so complicated. There, and I don't know if we've ever... There are things that must be processed and packaged to be quiet and somehow productive and somehow not troublesome until they reach the age of freedom. At least that's how parents treat their children at my middle school. We have parent-teacher conferences tomorrow. Oh, and boy. Part, oh uh, boy. Well, we're, we're in the process of it. And part of the whole drama and pain that I've been warned about is that you see you will see how much parents treat their children as objects and they're very much like yes. things to be shuttled yeah. around. They're a project um, and not a person. Like they have person. agency. Yeah. You don't give them agency. I I think yeah. I think that's I think yeah. that's exactly the point. Because like if you look at the modern age relative to previous time periods, we lift up children on a pedestal somehow a lot more than other cultures do. There's a lot more of a sense of childhood must be a thing that's protected in its own separate class with its yeah. own lesser set of responsibilities and greater yeah. sense of care. Like, childhood has to be an independent category. Right. Yeah. But at the same time, that we has... Manufactured childhood. Right. In some sense, we've gone from just manufacturing childhood to manufacturing children. No, 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 seriously, seriously, children become vessels for their parents' ambitions and, and desires and, and yeah. what they want their perfect kid to be, mm-hmm. rather than letting their child be a person. Yeah. yeah. Which is why so people go to pets, because you can make pets your objects easier than your children. Mm-hmm. That's part of it. You, they don't push back, which is the wonderful thing, you know? <coughs> oh, no, have you ever tried training a dog, they push back. Have you ever tried training a cat? <laughs> Any of us tried to train a child I anything. Yes. <laughs> Julia, yes. Julia, a cat goes straight to a switchblade when they push it. <laughs> wow. It's true. It's true. For the quick. people listening, um, there is a long-standing rivalry within this gang of podcasters about cats and dogs. And this one has goats, too. I'm a cat no. person. No, I don't have goats. My sister has goats. <laughs> <laughs> I claim no ownership of those clear. demonic creatures. <laughs> This podcast is predominantly dog folks, so carry on. Carry on. I'm a neither. I'm allergic to both and can't own either. Sad. Oh, fair. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, where were we? Children being objects. Yes. Bea, you had a thought? thought. Did you? No. Okay, sorry. (laughs) Um, That the, the phrasing there is almost too on point, though, because we talk about objectification and, like, seeing children in a, in a material way is... I just really like how that came from circle. That's, how, that's what we talk about when we talk about, like, dehumanization in, mm. like, abortion and that and related things. And, ah, I don't like it when we get to a Catholic point the backwards way because it just underscores to me the problem, the depth yes. of the problem. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is this where we get to have the fight about crying rooms? Ooh, Ooh actually, yes. Rooms, yes. <laughs> yes, this, this was brought up prior to the podcast, actually. In terms of how the church can better respect the dignity of children, because it's sort of the topic we're on. It's yeah. useful. And Jerick, I think, brought up the topic of cry rooms. Why don't you state your case as to why they're not? My case against cry rooms is sort of complicated. Um, oh, no. 
part of it, and I think the manufacturing thing, like, not just manufacturing children, but also, like, the degree to which, A, the crime becomes a space which is almost isolated from the sanctuary or from the nave, and so mm-hmm. all of a sudden parents, especially if the crime room isn't anywhere near the sanctuary, like, become excused from also participating in mass because their children are there. Um, I think part of it is the, like, the church trying to manufacture its experience of, like, worship in a, like, sort of unauthentic way. Um, but th- there's, like, a lot of reasons why I think crime rooms are problematic. But Yeah, see, on some level, because that, that, that's, the, that's sort of the balance you have to keep, because this is just sort of a fact of life. Infants cry. Yeah. Toddlers cry. Children, young yeah. children in particular, cry and cry and, loudly. But the thing is, I, I never had an issue with crimes until I got here. And I go to mass. When I, mean, I go to mass in alumni in the, in the, on Sunday mornings, there, like, especially as of a couple years ago, there were several kids in there who were just, like, weeping and screaming the entire time. And sometimes their parents would, you know, slip them out to the, to the anti-chapel room. Uh, for a little bit, but they'd always be sure to come back into the consecration and, like, all that stuff. But, like, eventually, after a few months of that, like, it just didn't bother me. It's a part of the life of the church to have children embraced into the church. Children right. embraced in their fullness into the church. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's why we baptize infants, right? Because even children as, you know, young as one week old or or just born have that same dignity in the body of Christ. Just to throw an anecdote onto Derek's point, um, my my home parent, like I think there's maybe three other people who go who are younger than like 25 who are at the mass I go to when I'm at home regularly. Um, two kids and this other random person, and so seeing young, not just young, not like peers, but like young children at mass was a whole new phenomenon for me when I came to college, and that was spectacular. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I had forgotten their part of life which is really weird um especially considering like i was like because i was a child uh, this (laughs) was me and i didn't even realize it um but i think it's very counterproductive to their catechesis as well like sometimes you can make a case for like children's liturgies those are a different story that's a problem yeah well well, we won't go down that rabbit hole just now but like we're baptizing these kids we've we've put on them a spiritual obligation that i mean a good spiritual obligation um and you're removing them from the the, sort of the worship the to, to, from like from the sacramental graces. Like, what are we yeah. doing? But to the actual anecdote, there is this was before nine in my time. But there is a parish priest back in my home where he would not start Christmas mass like the Christmas Eve mass. It would start whenever a baby cried. Like it doesn't matter if it didn't happen until like twelve minutes after four or five o'clock. He would only start it like the procession would start. He'd like signal the the piano guy. When a baby started crying, because huh. he's like, "That's why we're here." And but granted, this is Christmas, so like he's making a very nice point. Oh, yeah, but he's like, "That's why we're here. We're all here because of an infant." And his point was because there's so many families at those masses, he didn't want them to have to feel isolated and leave. Like, how horrible mm-hmm. is it for families with children to leave at the Christmas mass? Yeah. Right, and I think yeah. I think that hits the point right on the head, actually. Because honestly, I w- my case going into this was that. I know a lot of families, young families, feel uncomfortable when their children start <laughs> crying at mass, and they should have a space to be able to go to to not feel uncomfortable, feel like they're disrupting people, but also still be able to participate in the mass and not just be out in the nave. But 
I think fundamentally you guys have hit on the key point. The problem is not that their children are crying. The problem is that they are made to feel uncomfortable because their children are crying. Mm -hmm. That it should be part of our understanding of the life of the church, that the church has new life, and we should be able to celebrate that even when it disrupts our perfectly planned musical liturgy that we think we want to have. Yeah. So on that note, celebrate new life. If you're a Catholic, you're going to Mass... Celebrate growing babies at mass. That's your action item. For Hashtag be Catholic, make babies. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's okay. the topic for another week. On that note, on that note, ladies and gentlemen, we will close with a prayer of St. Thomas Aquinas. Father, the Son of the Holy Spirit, amen. Grant us, O Lord, minds to know you, hearts to seek you, wisdom to find you, conduct pleasing to you, faithful perseverance in waiting for you, and a hope of finally embracing you. Amen.